Welcome to Palm Sunday here at Canyon Hills Friends Church. Very exciting times. It's also the week that we are concluding the Acts series. You guys know how many months we've been doing Acts? Six. That's a long series. I don't know if I've ever done a series that long before, but it's been fun. It's been good, right? I, uh, thank you. That's great. <laughs> thank you. I think that it is fitting that it ends on Palm Sunday, and here's why. The end of Paul's life has all these falsely accused moments. He's going through prisons and court cases, and just it's an incredibly difficult time for him. And it's the same sort of ending that we see for Jesus, this false accusation and then this awesome ending to it. But here's how it began. This is John 12, 13 for Palm Sunday. They took palm branches and they went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. So it all starts great, right? And then a few chapters later, John 18, we see the, the betrayal. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew this place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guided, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. And by Friday, we see Jesus on the cross dying for our sins and paying the ultimate price as this Lamb of God. And by the way, this Friday, we are going to be celebrating um, that moment. It's weird to call it a celebration, but it's a time where we take communion and remember what God did for us. We only can celebrate because we know what happens three days later. So John 19.30 says, When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And we'll talk more about that on Friday as we take communion and worship together. I just encourage you to be back for that service. Now, if we are jumping in, we're going to be in Acts chapter 25. Take your Bibles, open up to that chapter, and we're going to move for the last four chapters really fast. And if you're on the aisle, will you take a, the basket of pins and pass those down so that everyone can take just some amazing notes this morning? I know that you all need those pins. Very, very, it's going to be, it's going to be good. Make sure you get this all in today. We're going to conclude the whole thing. So last week, Pastor Carlos was talking about this surrender moment. Are you willing to surrender to God? And he spoke of the same verses, these first three verses I'm going to go over right now. He said this, Three days after arriving in the province, Festus went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem, where the chief priests and the Jewish leaders appeared before him and presented the charges against Paul. They requested Festus as a favor to them to have Paul transferred to Jerusalem for they were preparing an ambush to kill him along the way. Of course they were, right? That's just, that's just par for the territory for Paul. Now this word right here, though, this charges word, I want to emphasize that word for a second because it comes from a Greek word that's called emphysino. And it's the exact same word that we see used for Jesus when he's talking to God later on our behalf. We see it in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24. It says this, For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear, that's emphysino again, appear for us in God's presence. And the reason I think Palm Sunday and Paul's finale here, they kind of connect in this same thing that they're doing. They're doing this, this, this um, 
this false accusation, but still willing to stand for Christ in the midst of being falsely accused. So in Christ's place, he is accused as an innocent man on our behalf. He takes the sins of the world on our behalf, and he appears in Fazino before God on our behalf. For Paul, he is, has these charges coming against him that, again, false accusations. We're going to find that here in a second. But these false accusations, and he's standing before the courts of man at the same time. And the Jewish leaders, of course, in the midst of this, are always trying to kill him. They want to transfer him to a different court just so they can ambush and kill him. Can we take a moment and just reflect on the life of Paul and just how many times he's had people trying to kill him along this journey? I am so, I think if I had one takeaway for the entire book of Acts, it would be this. I complain about things I should not be complaining about, right? I am, I'm always, I think this whole six months, I've never studied one book at the same time for six months straight. And that's my biggest takeaway. I have been complaining about some things in my life that really I just need to let go. And I think as I move forward, I'm going to have a little bit more, I'm just going to think a little bit longer about what it could be like and the life that God has blessed me with in the midst of what I call trials and challenges and then I read Paul and go, oh, these aren't trials and challenges at all. These are just, this is just daily living here in the life that we live. I, I think Paul's a stud. And I kind of want to hang out with Paul. I, I want to be like, Paul, tell me how you did it. I got to know. When you went from city to city, did you go out back and just like scream every once in a while? Like, where's the screaming verses? Those aren't in there. Tell me the truth. As these people over and over are trying to kill you, and you just keep pressing on and pressing on. I just, I want to hang out with this guy. I think this is probably a little silly, but I thought this morning we should just give him a little bit of a clap offering. Like, Paul, way to go. I, I know it's dumb because he's not here, but unless they watch somehow, I don't know how that works. But I, uh, I'm just so impressed with him. And so I, that's probably my biggest takeaway. And what we see is that it ends the exact same way. False accusations, court cases. He goes from prison to prison to prison. It's just a, a, a dramatic ending to the story. Verse 7 says this, When Paul came in, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, and they brought many serious charges, same word again, against him, but they could not prove them. So here he is, unprovable complaints going against him. And then this, they get to this moment later in this chapter um, Pastor Carlos touched on it, where Paul appeals to Caesar. The exact wording is Caesarium appealo. Every Roman citizen had this right where if they felt like justice wasn't being done, they could appeal to Caesar. And then Festus answers Caesarium appeliesta, which means uh, to Caesar you will go. And here's the problem for Festus, though, and this is where it gets really funny. Festus is like, if I send him to Caesar with no actual proof, Caesar's going to look at me like I'm the idiot because I don't know what I'm doing if I'm going to send somebody with no proof whatsoever. So he gets his buddy involved. This is King Agrippa. And they have this really interesting back and forth over like two years. It's just this ridiculous time. And they finally come up with this. All right, King Agrippa, you listen to the case. What do you hear? 
And then they, they come up with this. What it sounds like is the Jews are saying Jesus is dead, and Paul's saying he's alive. So what the court needs to figure out is Jesus dead or alive. That's what they end up sending him to Caesar over, which I find so interesting because that's the question we all have to answer and everyone has to answer for all eternity. It's the ultimate question of the world that we live in. Is Jesus dead or alive? Your answer to that's going to be basically how you live the rest of your life. If you're like Festus or all these people in the in particular subject here is he's dead, then the world's sort of hopeless. You either replace it with something, some other spirituality, and a lot of people do. It can be a different God. It can be a whole other religion, or it can just be this spiritual center that you find. But if you don't do that, you kind of look around, you go, we live in sort of a hopeless world. It's a bit of a society crumbling on a daily basis. There's gang warfare and disease. The government's corrupt. Uh, we say all these things about our world, and if there's nothing you can put your hope into, well, then your mind's going to go into a whole different place. Your mind's going to say, all right, how do I fill the void of happiness? And then you fill it. You fill it with money, sex, drugs, fame, family, kids. You'll fill it. Everyone fills it with something. It's just how you have to find out, how am I going to figure out the point of life? If there's no God, and if you don't replace it with some kind of spirituality, then you're going to replace it with, I'm going to be happy. I'm going to find a way for happiness in this world. That's the dead path. Then there's the Jesus is alive path. That changes everything. It's supposed to. This is where it gets interesting. That's supposed to change everything. And all of a sudden, life has a different meaning. And you don't live for yourself. You have this God that you love, and it changes who you are. For Paul, he went from an enemy of Christ to a friend of Christ when this Shekinah glory moment happened. He went from a persecutor to a proclaimer. He went from hating Jesus to loving Jesus. And he went from inflicting suffering upon the believers in Jesus to suffering for the cause of Jesus. And when we see all that Paul suffered for the cause of Jesus, you have to believe he believed in Jesus. He believed that he was alive. And he lived a life that said, this Jesus is real. And so that's the question that we lift up. All right, is Jesus dead or is he alive? Now, my guess is most of you in this room probably, I mean, you're here, you're here at church, you probably say he's alive. So the next step for us is how will we press forward in the midst of all the false accusations and the attacks and the challenges? And this is where Paul gives us such an example. We've been studying it for six months. It's been incredible to watch. But even here at the end, as he's falsely accused, the, the prison time where he's sitting there and waiting, as he's sent from different courts, as he goes on a ship to get to Caesar. It's just this incredible journey. And yet, what does he show us? Point one in your notes, he shows us calmness. Calmness. Now, there is a key word that we really want to take in because calmness is not easy. When you're falsely accused, what do you want to do? 
I'm, calm's not one of them. That's not the first thing that pops into my mind, right? I'm a pretty aggressive person, and if I'm falsely accused, I usually defend myself. But Paul shows us calmness. Let me explain with a, a story you probably all know. It's April 15th, 1912, and there's this ship by the name of Titanic. Um, spoiler alert, in case you don't know how this one ends, it sinks. So it's estimated in this boat, 15,000 bottles of alcohol, anchor chains, which each weighed about 175 pounds, went down, 30 sets of golf clubs, which is really sad, 30,000 fresh eggs, potted palms, china, five grand pianos, and about 1,500 people all go down with this ship. Now, any wreck is going to be scary, but I will, I will tell you why a shipwreck is probably the scariest. So airplane, that would be pretty scary, right? Anybody been through an airplane crash? Yeah, most people don't live through airplane crashes, um, train wrecks, car accidents. There's probably a lot of those. Those are scary moments. A shipwreck takes so much time. So you're on it knowing it's going down over each hour that goes by. So you're just hourly waiting for this thing that's just uh, excruciating pain. What's funny is, and it's probably not funny, funny is not the right word, but Paul is in the midst of a shipwreck in chapter 27, and it's 14 days long. So this storm is so bad that the people on the ship are throwing everything overboard, whatever that's supposed to do. I guess it makes the boat lighter. But they threw their food, they threw anything possible because they're like, we're, we're going to die here. And we want to make it as light as possible through this storm that's just throwing this thing around. 14 days into it. Now, how would you feel if you're 14 days into a shipwreck, knowing the ship's going down? What Paul shows us is calmness. And that's why it's so stunning. Listen to him. This is verse 21, chapter 27. After they had gone a long time without food, they threw it overboard. Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourself this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sell with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. This is what he's telling the men on this ship in the middle of a storm as it's going down. That's calmness. And false accusations, calmness, or regular storm of life, something crazy happening, calmness, where does that come from? Over and over, Paul says it comes from the strength of Jesus Christ, this intimate relationship that he has with Jesus Christ. He has strength in this moment because an angel of the Lord has been telling him, you're going to make it. How does he have that kind of relationship where an angel of the Lord is talking to him? It's this man who steps up and has a relationship that goes so deep that he speaks and talks with God on a daily basis. The storms of life, they're going to happen. We're all going to experience a storm of some kind. Some of you might be in one right now. That 
is called life. The key is in your preparation in the good times. Are you right now creating a relationship with God that is so strong, so intimate, that you're talking to each other on a daily basis, that when you hit the storm, you can still be calm? That's the key. Over and over, Paul shows us the same message, that in the midst of the battle, he's ready, and he has a calmness within it. Which brings us to point two, he knows the truth. How can he stand in these storms of life? How can he stand against the false accusations? He knows the truth. That's the key. One of the greatest ships that was ever built was called the Queen Mary. In the beginning, it was this elegant pleasure vessel. Later, it was commissioned in the war to be a troop ship. But no matter how it was used, it was used well. But today, you may not know this, but it's about an hour and a half. I'm just kidding. You all know this. It's like an hour and a half from here in Long Beach, and it sits there motionless. It said her gigantic engine is gone, and now there's souvenir shops all over the deck. The dining rooms are used for conventions. The cabins are used as hotel rooms. And the captain and crew replaced by professional actors. It's a monument. And there's a documentary that says this about it. The greatest ship that ever went to sea is now the greatest ship to come and see. The Queen Mary is a monument. Here's the truth. Churches are in danger all the time of becoming monuments. People come and see these amazing buildings, these places where awesome stuff happened. And people talk about it like, like they talk about the building. I have these conversations with people, and they talk about how amazing this place was and all the things they did and the people they sent from here and the missions and the different things that they used to do. And people come get their souvenirs, sit, listen, and walk away. They can become monuments so fast. The church has to be very careful not to be a monument because it was built as a movement. What do you want your church to be? And by church, I'm talking about the body. That's you and I. Do we want to be a movement of God or a monument that people come and see? A monument that people talk about what they used to do and how awesome it was. They talk, it's a great conversation, but we're not supposed to be a conversation. We're supposed to be a movement of the Lord. We're supposed to represent him in everything we do. People are supposed to know Jesus Christ dwells within us. Our neighborhoods, our places of work, everywhere we go, they should know who we are and what this God is doing within us. Authenticity in our lives, compassion. The world should see these things in us. When we spend time in the Bible, when we have this relationship with God, when we know the truth, it's supposed to create a movement in our life. If it's not creating movement, then you're a monument in which people are impressed with. They see God in you, but they want to see action too. And that's the movement of God on a daily basis. How are you showing who God is? Which brings us to point three in your notes, March On. That's a borrowed theme from last month because I really liked it. I'm still wearing my, my band on my wrist here. How many of you have your band on? A few of you? <laughs> I won't. Like two of you? Okay, great. I'm glad that stuck so well. So in the late 1800s, there was this pastor by the name of Wright. 
and he thought it was crazy for man to think he could ever fly. Flight said, or what he said, I'm sorry, Wright said that flight is reserved for angels. Yet on December 17th, 1903, his oldest son, which is ironic, Wilbur, took his seat in the first power-driven plane ever built and was airborne at Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, for 12 seconds and 120 feet. There were some, including his father, who considered the Wright boys crazy before that momentous day. But today, they're the heroes of flight. It was the same for Christopher Columbus. In fact, people were so sure that he was crazy that they had an inscription put on all their coins that read, Ne plus ultra, which means no more beyond. They believed the world was flat, and they believed that Columbus would fly, like, I don't know how the boat would just fall off the world somehow, right? But in 1492, after he sailed the ocean blue, they changed the coin, and they re- had him reprinted with this word, plus ultra, which means more beyond. They changed their system of money to show a new world was out there. They said he was crazy. But here's the thing. The crazy people are the ones who do the amazing things in history. The crazy ones. The ones that everybody looks at and says, you're a little crazy. You're insane for what you're doing. Those are the ones who change the world that we live in today. So shouldn't we as Christians be a little bit crazy? Be the crazy ones. Now, there's a spectrum here we have to be careful about, okay? I won't go into all of that. But there's a point where you should be called crazy by some of your neighbors. You should be the one that's out there sharing Christ, and they call you a little bit crazy. That's the crazy family. Why can't we do this for God? Why can't we be a little bit out there and say, I still believe that God is doing something beautiful in this world, and he's using me. There's a forgotten phrase in the Bible that, that he mentions several times. He says this, heaven came down. And I say forgotten phrase because whenever I hear people talk about heaven, it's usually like heaven, like heaven, so really out there somewhere. But when, the, when heaven is spoke of in the Bible, it usually says heaven came down, which means God is doing something here with his Christians right now. He wants you to experience him in his best right now. It's not just when you die and go to heaven. He's saying heaven came down. He wants you to have his best and show this world his best now. Meaning we should care about the planet. That should be on our mind. We should fight to end poverty. We need to love the unlovable, care about the least of these. These are all in the Bible These should not be some conservative versus liberal idea fought with political leaders. No, if heaven comes down and we are the crazy ones, we should be the ones fighting those battles and caring about people, no matter who they are in our world. When Robert Fulton gave his first public demonstration of the steamboat, we have a boat theme going through today. The bystanders that were watching said this, or they chanted this, it will never start, it will never start, it will never start, which had to be really fun for Fulton as he's over there trying to rev his motor up. I don't know how he did it, but they all thought he was crazy. A boat with a motor. And then it started. And the crowd started to chant, 
It will never stop. It will never stop. I made that part up. I have no idea. I have no idea how that went. But they thought he was crazy. Here's what I notice. All the people who changed the world were a little bit crazy. And then I noticed this. They called Jesus crazy. And they called Paul crazy. If you are being called crazy for your faith, you're in really good company. So Acts 26, I skipped it because it's a recap of the whole book. In fact, if you missed a lot of sermons through this series, Acts 26 is a great book just to read to get a whole recap of Acts. But here's the final verse, or not the final verse, but it's verse 24. It says this, At this point, after Paul's been sharing everything he's gone through, Festus interrupted Paul. You're out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. They think he's crazy. Everything that Paul is saying, they think he's crazy. They could only describe his choosing of this life as insanity. That's very interesting. So what Paul did, and we can read this through his life, he tossed aside what everybody else valued. He tossed aside everything that people treasured. He called it trash at one point. He says, what you treasure is trash, if you want the literal terms. It made no sense to this Roman society, which would have been hedonistic, which means self-indulgent, pleasure-seeking. That was what the Romans were all about. They worshiped power, possessions, and pleasure. Does that sound familiar, by the way? Power, pleasure, and possessions. So what crazy is, is when you begin to say, I'm not going to chase those things. He's called insane because he said, that's trash. Catch that. Because I want to be known as a little crazy. Someone that's seeking what God has for us in this life. What God wants to do with us in this life. And give up on power, possessions, and pleasure as being what's going to make me happy. How do we do it? How do we press through this? Paul showed us it starts with calmness because you have this deep, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. He showed us he knows the truth. He uses Jesus' words himself as he defends himself. And he marches on no matter what he's facing. And then we see him here at the end, Acts 28, verse 30. For two whole years... Paul stayed there in his own rented house. He's basically on house arrest at this point. And welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The crazy guy in the house who all the way at the end, till the very end, continues to share of this Christ that he loves and adores. Can we have that same ambition the same ambition to be like Paul, to be like Christ, to be called insane. A lot of times what ends up getting us, I call it death by a thousand cuts. We face huge challenges every once in a while. Some of you, like I said, may be facing a huge challenge right now. But most of us are getting hit with death by a thousand cuts. Just little things every day that just keep, uh, they keep being frustrated. And when you tell someone what you're going through and you mention one little thing, they're like, well, that's not that big a deal. And you're like, yeah, I know. But then this and this and this, and it's like a thousand more things. That's what begins taking us down. 
And you're going to continue to need to say, God, you're in charge. And I'm going to march on. No matter what that next little thing is that happens every day, I'm going to continue to press forward. And I'm going to continue to be calm in the midst of false accusations. And I'm going to know the truth every single day as I walk in this world. That's the message of Acts. That's the message of Paul. And on Palm Sunday, we want to celebrate this man, this book, and what God is doing in our lives. Will you stand with me as I pray? We're going to celebrate with another song, but there's a chance that someone new here today or someone who's been here a while, um, you just need to make a, a step forward with God. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're here today, and you don't know this God, Romans speaks of this relationship. And what he says is, if you will acknowledge me here and now in this world, I'm going to acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. And that's a big, big deal. And I'm not going to pull you up front or do anything to embarrass you, but if you're here today and you're saying, I need this Christ, I want this Jesus that brings this type of calmness, the one that I can press through no matter what I face and be like a Paul, Will you just quickly put your hand up and say, that's me. I need this Jesus. I want this Jesus in my life. Just put it up. Leave it up for a second. Amen. Anyone else? Amen. God, I thank you for today. I thank you for those that are just continuing to say, I want you. And I pray, Lord, that you would begin to reveal yourself in such an intimate way that not only do they experience you in the good, but they really feel you in the tough, difficult challenges that we face. God, I just pray that in their lives right now. Lord, and I thank you for this book as we have spent a lot of time in it. Thank you for this man named Paul. We're all looking forward to meeting him. And I just thank you, God, and ask that we would have that same drive in our lives, that same drive to represent you well, even if we're called crazy for doing it. We're in. So we give you this time, we give you this day, and we celebrate you in this Palm Sunday right now. In Jesus' name, amen.